This morning we're continuing in the miracles of Jesus, uh, and this Sunday is when Jesus walked on the water. Um, So prior to jumping into that, I'm just going to pray for our time together, and then we're going to open up to John chapter 6 and learn together. Dear Jesus, we we thank you that uh, we have access um, to you, Lord, that you, um, that you came down and you dwelt among us, that you lived a life of humility and persecution and shame and misunderstanding and ultimately crucifixion and then resurrection uh, because of how much you love us. Um, I'm reminded of that song all the time where the, the artist says that they would walk a mile on broken glass just to fall down um, at the person that they love's feet. Um, and there's no need to do that uh, except for to show the depth of the love that somebody has, Lord. And you did not, if you wanted to, you could have done anything, but you chose the cross just because you wanted to show how extravagant your love is for us, Lord, and we thank you for that. Um, and we thank you that you didn't just leave us hanging uh, without any direction or guidance, you gave us your word, which is a lamp unto our feet, and you gave us your spirit, which dwells in us, guiding us, uh, Lord. And so this morning, as we continue on this journey individually and corporately uh, of what it means to be a follower of Jesus, Lord, I hope and pray that um, we'll just see you a little bit more, um, that we'll walk out these doors just understanding your presence in our lives a little bit more. Um, so it's in your son's name we pray. Amen. So John chapter 6, uh, if you'd like, you can open up there. We're going to, this, this is the passage uh, that I was given, yet it's limited in the walking on water account. So we're actually going to read all three accounts of where Jesus walked on water. This is the, the shortest one, and it's couched within the feeding of the 5,000. Um, but then we're going to read Mark chapter 6 and Matthew chapter 14. Uh, so lots of scripture this morning, but God's word is living and active. And um, just pray that we really dwell on the words that are uh, in these scriptures here. So John chapter 6, verse 16. I'd make you stand, but you'd be standing for five minutes. And I know that's tiring. Don't want to do that to you guys on a Sunday morning. Uh, John chapter 6. When evening came, his disciples went down to the sea got into a boat, and started across the sea to Capernaum. It was now dark, and Jesus had not yet come to them. The sea became rough because a strong wind was blowing. When they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and coming near the boat, and they were frightened. But he said to them, It is I. Do not be afraid. Then they were glad to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat was at the land to which they were going. So now let's um, turn over to Mark chapter 6, verse 45. And we'll get to see just some, uh, some more depth to this story. My guess in, in reading these different accounts is John's gospel was the last to be written, uh, and it was long after Matthew, Mark, and Luke. So my guess is that this story was so familiar and popular that John gave a little bit of an abridged version, where Mark and Matthew give a little bit of a a longer version in more detail. 
Cool thing is, though, Matthew and John actually saw this happen. So Mark chapter 6. Immediately he made his disciples get into the boat. So now we see in John it said the disciples went down, but now we see why, because Jesus told them to go down. So he made them get into the boat and go before him to the other side, to Bethsaida, which is interesting because it's a different spot than John says, while he dismissed the crowd. After he had taken leave of them, he went up to a mountain to pray. And when evening came, the boat was out on the sea, and he was alone on the land. And he saw that they were making headway painfully, for the wind was against them. And about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them, walking on the sea. He meant to pass them by, but when they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost, and cried out. For they all saw him and were terrified. But immediately he spoke to them and said, Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. And he got into the boat with them, and the wind ceased. And they were utterly astounded. Now this part is still tricky and confusing to me, where it said they did not understand about the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. I think that's a very interesting I have, I have some insight, and Carrie and I struggled through that a little bit together uh, into that, but that's just a very interesting way that Mark ends it, that their, their hearts were hardened. All right, and then the last one is Matthew 14, verse 22. <clears throat> and this one and, and Mark are, are fairly similar, but it has... Um, Peter also walking on the water, which the other two accounts don't have. Immediately, he made the disciples get into the boat. It's like Groundhog Day, huh? Mike said this already like two times. Immediately, he made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. And after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up to the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone, but the boat by this time was a long way from the land beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, it's a ghost. And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them saying, take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. And then the account that, um, the Matthew account that the others two don't have is, and Peter answered him, Lord, If it is you, command me to come out to you on the water. And Jesus said, come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying, Oh, you of little faith, why do you doubt? And I think that's not uh, a very, very gentle reprimand there i don't think that's like ah peter come on man i think it's more like peter come on you know who i am why do you doubt and when they got into the boat the wind ceased and those in the boat worshiped him saying truly you are the son of god so we have three different accounts here uh, a lot of similarities and then some just dig in a little deeper to this walking on the water passage so this is one of the miracles of Jesus that's in the Gospel of John. So, And this comes after, as I already said, the fe- this comes after the feeding of the 5,000. And with John, chapter 6 is a very long chapter, 
and it starts with the feeding of the 5,000. Then there's this little side story with the disciples, and then he comes back to the crowds. And when he's with the crowds the second time, the disciples and Jesus don't mention anything about this walking on the water. So this was something that was for the disciples alone that happened. And it says in John chapter 6, verse 15, right before this, that perceiving then, so he feeds 5,000 people with a little bit of food. And John says, perceiving then that they were about to come and take him king by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. Basically, I interpret that as these 5,000 or a handful of them And you see later in John chapter 6 that these 5,000 end up walking away. Because Jesus has his biggest crowd in all of the Gospels, 5,000 people. And then he goes and said with this big crowd, hey, if you really want to follow me, you got to eat my flesh and drink my blood. Now, if I had 5,000 people here and I was trying to grow my ministry and my church, I probably wouldn't start telling people to eat me. That's a good way to get everybody to leave. That's crazy. And that's kind of what happened is when Jesus had his largest crowds, he often gave his hardest teachings because he wanted to make sure if you're going to follow me, this is what it's all about. He didn't sugarcoat whatsoever. Little different than today, right? The larger the church sometimes, the, the softer the message. But, and it says that many walked away, but the disciples stayed. So he has this this large crowd, and they want to force him to be king. And I interpret this as they're looking at him saying, what else can this magician do? If he can take loaves and fishes and feed 5,000, and then there's leftovers, hmm, what if I brought him gold? What if I brought him silver? What What else can he multiply? Man, we've never seen anybody like this. What else can we make him do? So they wanted to force him to be king, a complete misunderstanding of who he was. And so what does he do? He withdraws. They want to force him to be king, and he withdraws. And it says, after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up to the mountain by himself to pray. Again, countercultural. Typically, people withdraw when they're ashamed or embarrassed about something that they did. If I'm ashamed of something or I feel that I've done something wrong, I don't stick around for everybody to tell me, oh my gosh, you did something wrong. I I retreat. But if I do something great, like, I'm going to stick around and build my ego a little bit. Come on, people. Tell me how awesome I am. Jesus was the opposite. They wanted him to be king. They wanted to praise him. They wanted to, to have him do all of these things. And because of that, he withdraws. Withdrawing from the false praise of man. Yet oftentimes we seek the praise of man. But when it was misguided and misplaced, Jesus withdrew. And you see that often. He'll, he'll do a miracle or, or something and then withdraw or say, don't tell anybody that I did this. Rather than, hey, look at me. Withdraws from the crowd. And then it says that he went up to the mountain to pray. Reminding us of the need for reflection, prayer, and solitude. It always blows my mind when I think about the fact that Jesus and his ministry lasted only for three years. Three years. 
He was the son of God. He could change everything if he wanted to. Heal everyone. Speak words of life to everyone. He could have hung out with those crowds all night and spoken with them, prayed with them, done more miracles. But he chose to withdraw. And I'm always blown away because it reminds me of I don't need to be running around all the time doing all of this busy work and stuff. Jesus had three years and you never see him rushing or running or hurrying or worried or anxious. He went at a pace, a slow pace, the Lord's leading. And some of us are like, oh, well, God's gifted me in this area, so I need to just pour out. There's a need, I need to pour out. In the morning, I'm pouring out. In the afternoon, I'm pouring out. In the evening, I'm tired, I'm weary, I'm stressed, but it's okay because I'm pouring out. And Jesus is reminding us in this passage, no, you need to withdraw with God first. The great commandment, we need to love God and then others. But sometimes it's like, I just, there's needs, I got to meet them. And we go out and out and out, but Jesus says, no, withdraw and pray. So then here comes the miracles. Mark 6, immediately he made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side. He saw that they were making headway painfully. It's like, oh man, just can't get to the other side, for the wind was against them. And at about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. He meant to pass them by. Isn't that interesting? It's going to be like, oh, hey, guys. Yeah. Oh, 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 you're scared? Oh, I'm sorry. So there's like all these interpretations of like, what was Jesus thinking? Just be like, or was he like, oh, God, they're going to see me. Like, there's this guy walking on the water. Jesus, come on. He meant to pass them by. The disciples are encountering this strong wind while sailing. Now, this is completely different than Matthew chapter 8. Matthew chapter 8 is when Jesus is sleeping in the boat, and there's this great storm. So it, it used the word great. And it said that the water was swamping the boat, and the disciples were fearful fearful that they were going to die. They woke him up and they're like, Jesus, like, come on, man, you're sleeping. Don't you realize we're about to sink? We're about to capsize. What are you doing? And he's like, it stopped. Guys, come on. I'm Jesus. I need a nap. Go back to sleep. That was a great storm. They feared death. This was more just frustrating. It doesn't say that they feared death doesn't say that it was a great storm. This was just an inconvenience. It's the middle of the night. They're tired. They're weary. They're rowing. They're like, man, we were just with Jesus. We had this huge thing that happened with the 5,000 people. We're tired. We just want to rest. Not only that, Jesus told us to go out on the sea. Isn't he all-knowing? Like, didn't he know that the storm was going to come? And I can just imagine. I think sometimes we don't place certain human emotions on the disciples that should be placed on them. But I can imagine that they're just rowing, going, dude, they, I don't think they use that word. But they're like, oh man, Jesus told us to come out here and then he hangs back while we're out here struggling. What is up with him? I'm sure they got frustrated with Jesus. It doesn't say it, but I'm sure they did. 
Like, why is he making us do this? Why did he send us out here? Frustration. Not fear of death, just frustration. The mundane of every day. None of you get frustrated, right? Okay, just checking. And it said, then the Lord passed before them. Oh, sorry, jumping ahead. It said at the end there that the Lord meant to pass them by. Jesus meant to pass them by. So in digging into that verse, I don't think it was just a, hey, what's up? Just like walking on the water. When you hear that, he meant to pass them by, what Old Testament passage comes to mind? Passing by. Got this. Moses, right? Where the Lord was going to pass him by. And I believe that's what this passage is saying. Not that he was just going to like cruise past them unseen, but that he wanted to pass them by. They're there. They're struggling. They're frustrated. They're probably blaming Jesus because he sent them out there. And he meant to pass them by and say, in your frustration, so here's the Exodus passage. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. He sent them out there. I believe knowing that they would have trouble, because he's God, knowing they would be frustrated, knowing they would be weary, so that he can come by and say, in this chaos and frustration that you're feeling, I am the Lord. Water symbolizes in the, bottle, in the Bible chaos. And in our lives, we all have it. We have mundane, everyday chaos. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> should hear like the parents of young kids be like, <laughs> mundane everyday chaos. Amen. At home, no matter what age your kids are, we have mundane everyday chaos. I'm a neat freak for the most part. I'm not organized, but I like things like clean. If it's in a closet and I can't see it, I'm fine. But I like want my counters and everything clean and dishes done. And I have a seven-year-old, a five-year-old, and a two-year-old. So it doesn't happen. Your kids are older. At work. Mundane, everyday chaos. Driving. Mundane, everyday chaos. 99.9% of our life, if we admit, is just the mundane, the everyday, just getting through. Then there's that 0.01% that's either like a mountaintop or a deep valley, but everything else is pretty much in the center. Could be friends that give you mundane, everyday chaos in your life. So the disciples are out there, and they're rowing, and they're having this frustration, this just chaos, this just little thing inside that's just eating them up eating up their heart and eating up their mind and making them probably blame Jesus. 
in the middle of the night, and they're tired. And he says to them, yeah, I'm going to do this big miracle, but I'm going to come in the little areas as well and let you know, again, that the Lord is merciful and gracious, gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for the thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. This has been super helpful, and I hope it continues to be super helpful when my head just feels like it's going to pop off with the chaos that's around me. And just say, Lord, even in this little moment, you are with me. There was the great storm, and Jesus showed up. And then he tells us as well, in that little storm, those little ones that you face every single day, I am there passing you by. I am with you in the mundane. And if you're anything like me, I seek him on the mountaintops with praise and in the valleys with prayer. But in the mundane, I just try to get by. But he's saying, no, I'm in this situation right now. This little, what seems like trivial situation, I am right there, passing you by, telling you who I am. The 99.9% of life that you just try to get through, I'm there. Will you see me? Will you find me? So once they see him, and he intends to pass them by, they get scared. I, I would like to hear, like, what is this, like, crying out of 12 grown men sound like? <laughs> Something like that, probably. When they had rowed for about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea, coming near the boat, and they were frightened. This happens every single day when I just try to say hi to my wife, but she, her back is turned towards me. <laughs> that sort of like, oh, I didn't know you were there. I can't do anything. It's uh, every single time. I think I got to like call her on the phone. I'm walking upstairs. Don't get scared. <laughs> they were frightened. These men had been spending every single day with Jesus. Prior to this, he calmed a really big storm. He healed people. Prior to this, he had preached the Sermon on the Mount. The most powerful and deep and effective sermon ever preached by anybody. They heard it. And in that, he said, don't worry. Like, I got this. Don't worry. Yet a few passages later, they're frightened when Jesus wasn't with them. Still, they feared the unknown. That gives me some comfort. Like, these guys walked with Jesus, yet still worried and doubted and had fear. And he says to them, it is I, do not be afraid. They had seen so much, yet he still had to say to them, it is I, proclaiming, I am. Like, guys, don't worry, I am. I got this. I am the one that turned water into wine. I am the one that can heal disease with a single word. I am the one that took a little bit of food and fed 5,000 people. I am currently the one walking on water. Guys, I am. Don't be afraid. 
basically saying, I created everything that your eyes can see. Saying, I'm not outside of your circumstances. I'm in them. I am. Colossians says, for by him all things were created. In heaven and on earth. Visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things and in him all. All things hold together. Basically, he's got it. But I think they looked at him as this superhero that came in, swooped in, like Batman or Superman. I'm in trouble. Swoop in and save the day. And Jesus is like, no, I don't swoop in and save the day. I'm over all of it. I created all of it. I sustain all of it. Ephesians says, God and Father of all, who is over all, through all, and in all. And I think we need to remember that. For me personally as well, I look at my circumstances, and then Jesus outside of my circumstances, and I pray that he'll come in and fix my circumstances. Rather, Jesus is saying, I'm in it. He sent them out to the sea. He knew they would get frustrated. He's basically saying, guys, I'm in this. I don't need to come in and swoop in and save the day. I'm in the situation. And maybe I want you to stay in this situation so that I can teach you something. He's passing them by, telling them who he is. So once they realize it's Jesus, of course, Peter, of course, says, hey, call me to come out to you. I want to try this. Sounds pretty awesome. Peter answered him, said, Lord, if it is you, come to me. Command me to come to you on the water. And he said, come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. He looks around and sees the chaos. In the beginning, he's got his eyes focused on Jesus. And he's like, oh, you are. Like, you created all of this. So that means if you've created all of this, you can do whatever you want. And if I follow after you, that means I can do whatever I want. The Bible says that. That faith as small as a mustard seed can move mountains. Like, God is, is over all of it. He sustains all of it. He's in all of it. So Peter realizes that after Jesus says, I am. He goes, oh, if you are, that means I can do this too. So he keeps his eyes focused on Jesus, and he's walking. But then all of a sudden, he looks. He's like, whoa. And the boat's back there, and Jesus is there, and the wind and the waves are here, and he begins to sink. Takes his eyes off of Jesus. He sees the chaos and loses hope. Again, like how many of us are there often? You see the chaos? You think, how am I going to get through this? And you lose hope. You become hopeless. And it may only be for a moment, and it may, or it may be for a long time. But when you see that chaos, and your eyes aren't focused on Jesus, the author and perfecter and finisher of our faith that's in all and through all, it's easy when we look away and look at the circumstances to say, I don't know how this is going to work. I don't know how this is going to add up. I don't know how I have enough time or resources or how I'm going to get through this. 
So that's what happens. He just, he looks around and it's chaotic. And he sinks. But Jesus immediately pulls him out of the water. And takes him by the hand, saying, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? Basically saying, Peter, like, if you only knew, if you only knew, then you would have kept on walking. Like, I got this. I'm in this. Keep your eyes fixed on me. I don't think it was a rebuke. I think it was gentler, like, Peter, come on. It's me. It's Jesus. You can do this. I'm with you in this. Later in John, he says, I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In this world, you will have tribulation. But take heart, I have overcome the world. I mean, I I could read all of the verses, and I, I considered putting them all in here, like Romans that nothing can separate us from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus. Like, we know it. We've read it. But do we believe it? And I don't know, in in prepping for this, you know, I thought about giving personal examples in my own life. But I thought to myself, I don't have to. Because I think I can just speak this word of the frustration and chaos that we all feel. And right away, you're going to think of situations in your life. And you're like, yeah, this is... This is the frustration. This is the chaos. This is, this is the hard thing. Even the just mundane thing that I go through every single day. We all know it. And right here, Jesus is saying, just remember I'm in it. I'm slow to anger. I'm gracious. I'm abounding in love. I gotcha. And then this passage ends with hardened hearts, it says. Mark 6:52 They were utterly astounded. So Jesus does all this stuff. He walks on water and then Peter walks on water. Jesus says I am. He meant to pass them by and we don't get depth into that, but it seems like the same as the Exodus passing by. And then he gets into the boat, the storm calms and all of a sudden they're at port, which is kind of crazy. He's just like boop and then they're like Oh, wait, we're here. Like, how did we get here? And they were utterly astounded. And it seems like it should just end there. But then it goes on to say, they did not understand about the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. And I got to imagine that they had a misunderstanding of who Jesus was, just like the 5,000 did. If they understood who he was, they wouldn't have been surprised. Be like, it's Jesus. This is what he does. He created the water. He created the wind, the waves, everything that we see. This is, this is what he does. He's got mastery over it. But they still didn't understand that that's who he was. That he was the creator and sustainer. And we don't get those verses until Paul later on. But I think they looked at him and still thought, you know, is he a I don't think they had superheroes back then. Maybe they did. I guess like Greek mythology. I think they still thought he's a superhero or a magician or a genie in a way. Later on, but I still think even later on they don't understand it. Later on, Jesus says, who do you say that I am? And Peter replied, 
you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. They started to get it, but in this passage, it was still very confusing. And that's, I think, what it means by their hearts were hardened. They just, they just didn't get it. It's not like the Pharaoh hardening, like, oh, I'm not going to follow God. It's more of the hardening of, like, I just, I just don't get it. And we might think, oh, we're enlightened. We have the Bible. We get it. Now we don't get it. Like, we, we still don't get God, and we won't. We won't until we're with him face to face. And even then, it says, we'll be learning about him for eternity. The depth of Jesus and God and the Trinity is limitless. So any of us that think we have it all together, we're wrong. We're probably furthest. The more that you get to know God, when, you know, when people encounter Jesus face to face, what happens? They fall down flat on their face like a dead man. The depth is limitless. So their hearts were hardened. They still, they didn't get it. They didn't understand. Often, we get frustrated by the mundane chaos of everyday life. Yeah? You're all there? Yeah? We fear the unknown. Who is this guy? They thought it was a ghost. We doubt because we look at our surroundings. And day after day, we misunderstand who Jesus is. He's the one that has put breath in your lungs and then taken it out. Put it back in and taken it out as you've been sitting here. He's the one that's pumping blood through your veins as we sit here. He's the one that's holding together gravity so we all don't hit the ceiling. He's got it. And he's constantly passing us by, saying, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. Let's pray. Lord, I think uh, how that passage ends with they still didn't get it. Um, I know many of us, if not all of us, uh, feel that way. Lord, and we should. We will never fully get it. It's a journey, and I'm so thankful that you're gentle in that journey. You are a God that judges, but I think even more so you're a God of compassion and patience and forgiveness. Like Psalm 23 says that surely goodness and love will follow us all the days of our lives. And that gives the picture of somebody walking away and you're following. And if they would just turn around, they would see you. So whatever it is, this day, whatever we have before us, great, small, or just right in the middle, Lord, just let us see you. Let us not miss seeing you. Lord, as you pass us by, as you're in, under, through, 
and sustaining every circumstance in our lives. Lord, let us see you in it. Lord, we thank you for this passage, and uh, we thank you that you reveal who you are in this passage, and that the disciples messed up in their humanity in every single part of this passage, and you came in and came alongside them with your divinity in every part of this passage. Lord, and we constantly see that through the pages of Scripture. Humanity being overtaken by divinity uh, in a gentle, subtle, kind, compassionate way. Lord, so we thank you for being who you are. And we just ask this day um, that we will sense your presence more and more. In your son's name we pray. Amen.